Let's get into the Word of God. And would you just join me in prayer this morning? And, and please pray for the message this morning. Just please pray for that. So, dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this opportunity that you that you give us uh, to, to dive into your Word. I just thank you for how you use us to, uh, to, to, to teach your Word and how you use your Word to teach us. Um, it is just such a privilege to be provided your word as you've revealed it to us to teach us about who you are. Because if we did not have your word, we would be left in darkness. We would have no idea about, the, about who you are, about the hope that you've given to us, and then the opportunity that, you, that we have to live with you for all of eternity in your kingdom forever and ever and ever. Amen. And uh, we just, uh, we look forward to that day only because you have revealed it to us. And to just thank you so much for your word and how much it means to me, and I know how much it means to each one of us here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me this morning. Please um, just speak through me. Help your your words to be spoken and, and not mine. Um, allow your word to be heard and uh, just minister to each one who is here to interpret in their, into their life and to speak into each individual's life um, what this message, uh, what you're using this message for. Uh, for them uh, this week and even this year and however else you want to use it, Father. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today um, we're, we're taking a little bit of a break from Luke. Um, we've actually been doing that the last, or the, we will be doing that these uh, three weeks while um, Greg and Linda are on a much needed, much deserved vacation. Um, so we just thank you, we thank them and all the work that they've done for us and how much Greg serves us as our primary teacher and uh, so you are stuck with me today and next week. Um, I don't know if I should apologize for that or, or what. Maybe I'll find out later. But um, I, I, when talking to Greg about what he wanted me to, to teach on and to, and to speak on, really, is uh, I just kind of I came to him and I said, you know, our, our small group, my, the small group that I lead has been going through um, understanding and studying the Holy Spirit. I mean, we the whole point of Bible study is to study about God, right? So the Holy Spirit's a good place to, to go. And the reason why we did that is because um, many of us are very interested in the gifts of the Spirit and what the, what the Holy Spirit does. And so I said, okay, well, before we get into that, let's talk about who is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think we don't quite understand or we, or we just misinterpret some things. And, and maybe there's been some things we've taught over, been taught over time that is not entirely true about who the Holy Spirit is. Um, and I say that purposefully, who the Holy Spirit is, not what the Holy Spirit is. Did you catch the difference there? He is very much God. He is very much a person, not a force. And we're going to talk about what he does and some of the promises that Jesus made about him before Jesus left this earth. Because the only way the Holy Spirit could come is so that is, uh, was because, or the only way that the Holy Spirit could come was if Jesus left. The only way that the Holy Spirit could come is if Jesus left. Now, isn't that interesting? We're going to talk about a little bit that, about that later, uh, even today. So this week, we're going to focus on the promises that Jesus made about the Holy Spirit. There are five. And then next week, we're going to talk about who the, or what the Holy Spirit does. So this week is, who is the Holy Spirit? And next week is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, we don't have time. I mean, I guess we could, but we would be here until about 7 tonight. But um, we, the Bible is rich with teaching about the Holy Spirit and about what he has done. 
Many, many people believe um, incorrectly that the Holy Spirit only shows up on the, that, that day of Pentecost when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That's not true. The Holy Spirit has been present for the entire history of the world. Even if you look back in Genesis chapter 1, you see the Spirit hovering over the waters of the deep in the beginning of creation. He has been here the entire time. Okay, And there's uh, even throughout the Old Testament, there's longing and expectation of the Holy Spirit and, and, that, and that He would come and that He would, be, he would minister to people. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And the way, that he's, the way that he's been presented all throughout history has changed. We will talk a little bit about that. But um, I just want you to know that he's always been around. It is not just after the death of Jesus, after his ascension, and then, the, uh, and then the, that day of Pentecost when he did come. We'll talk about that um, next week. But all throughout history, God's Spirit dwelt with specific people at specific times for a specific purpose. These leaders were chosen by God. People like Moses, like David, like all of the prophets, they they were given specific revelation regarding God and who he is. And these people uh, instructed God's people who needed to hear about who God was. So God used these individual people, and they, they were filled by the Holy Spirit. These people were, like I said, Moses and David and the prophets. We're actually going to read from Ezekiel, one of those prophets. Um, But Peter talks about this and how God and the Holy Spirit was working even in the beginning uh, in the Old Testament. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Peter says, concerning this salvation, which he talks about earlier in verses uh, 1 through 9 of 1 Peter 1, this salvation, which is the result of our faith in Christ, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So what Peter's getting at there is that all throughout the course of history, God has been using the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been working in people to teach us about who he is, that we see that. And then comes Jesus, right? And he comes and just reveals himself in a way that's even more personal than the Holy Spirit could have through those prophets. But then we see Jesus say things like, it's to your advantage that I leave because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that. Let me read from Ezekiel. Somehow I got to Exodus. I need to go to Ezekiel. Uh, We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me just read this for you. Um, While I'm turning there, you can turn to uh, John chapter 14. That's where we're going to start this morning. But let me get to Ezekiel here. I just want to read from, read from this prophet. Uh, as we can see, just the, again, the foreshadowing of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. 
Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Now get this. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And this is the kicker. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to you. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This prophecy was kind of a big deal. This was pointing to how God was going to supply all of his people with his spirit, not to simply raise up specific leaders for a specific purpose like he did in the past. All of God's people would be filled with the Holy Spirit. This was something that Moses longed for. As we see recorded in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, Moses said there, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Little did he know, actually I think he knew, but little did he know this would come true. We're going to see how that is. So this week, like I said earlier, we're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Who Answer the question. Actually, we're, we're going to just touch on answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And the next week we'll discuss what does the Holy Spirit do? We're going to focus on two chapters in the book of John, John 14 through 16. So please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. We'll see that Jesus points to who the Holy Spirit is through five promises that he makes to the disciples. Five promises. And so just to set the scene before we get into this, in John chapter 13, I promise we'll make it to John 14. Bear with me. Uh, in John 13, we have... Jesus and the disciples in the upper room, right? This is just before the feast of the Passover. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He revealed Judas as his betrayer, which nobody picked up on. And he began teaching the disciples who truly love him. So at this point, Judas is gone. He's, out, he's left the scene, and it's just the disciples who truly love Jesus and want to hear from him. Those who were chosen to take the gospel message to the rest of the world. That's important to remember. So let me start with John 14, uh, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. 
When Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Hang on to that. That's important for what we're going to talk about today. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Who's Jesus talking about there? The Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But Philip says to him, get this, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Remember that for next week. That's interesting that Jesus would say that those who believe in him would do greater works than the works that he did. We'll see about what that means next week. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So this is the context. This is setting the scene for the the five promises that Jesus is going to reveal about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot that Jesus is going to talk about in in chapters 14 through 16. And don't worry, we're not going to cover every bit of it today. But we're going to focus on, I'm going to pull out for you, the five promises that Jesus makes about the Holy Spirit. And it kind of gives us some insight into who the Holy Spirit is, okay? And what I'm going to do, I, don't, I, I didn't get a chance to throw um, note slides up for you, so if you're using the Version app, that's a good place to see the, the different promises if you want to see them broken out. But if you're a note taker, this is probably a good sermon to take notes um, just because I'm going to uh, list off some things for you as you're um, thinking about and, and even things for future study. So as we go through each promise, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you the... Um, the word I came up with was method, but that's not exactly what I mean. What I'm getting at is the way in which the Holy Spirit comes to us. So Jesus shares with us a method for how the Holy Spirit's going to come. So I call that the method. And then the other thing that I'm going to mention is an implication. So what what does the promise mean for us? What does that promise imply? And a lot of things you're going to see is he's talking directly to the disciples. He's talking directly to them and, and a lot of these promises are meant specifically for them. And so some people read this and go, well, that's not for me. That's just for the disciples. That doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, guess what? You're going to see as we go through this, the only, re- only way we know about what Jesus taught the disciples is because of what the Holy Spirit did in them to teach us, to show us his word. And so by extension, everything we're going to learn today has implication for us, not just for the disciples. Okay. So now, everybody's like, okay, I'm ready for the promises. Let's go. Here we go. Promise number one. This is found in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. The promise is another helper, the spirit of truth. Another 
helper, the spirit of truth. So in John 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right, so the first thing we're going to mention is the method. What's the method that Jesus reveals here? He says there in verse 14, actually it's, uh, it's verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So we see Jesus praying to the Father, and we see the Father giving us the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's a gift from the Father at the request of the Son. So that's the method. And then now let's get into the promise specifically. So Jesus says, he calls this Holy Spirit, this this Spirit of truth, he says, another helper to be with you forever. Another helper. There might be some other translations that you have in in um, the versions of the Bible you're reading. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The Greek word here that's translated to helper is paraclete which has several meanings baked into it. In fact, helper really isn't the best translation for us, and paraclete really isn't the best. It's more of a transliteration from the, from the actual Greek. So let me help us with our Western minds, help us get our minds around what this word is talking about here. So, like I said, there's several meanings baked into this. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. So some of your translations might read the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. And in this case, it's talking about one who strengthens and builds up and supports. Someone who would just stand behind you and hold you still and steady to build you up, to strengthen you. This is not necessarily referring to one who provides freedom from pain. He gives you the ability to endure the pain. That's what a comforter does. The Holy Spirit is the counselor or the advocate like one who provides legal counsel and advises and speaks for people. He's a counselor or an advocate. So not counselor in the sense of like a psychologist, but one in a legal sense. And sometimes we kind of cringe at that when we think of a lawyer, like, oh, the Holy Spirit's a lawyer? Well, in this case, he is your defense. He is your counselor, your advocate. And we'll see how these other meanings uh, play out in the promises that Jesus uh, shows us here. I just wanted to spend some time on that specific word there. For now, and in this case, what Jesus is talking about here literally is another of himself. And I have to be careful to say that because I'm not saying it's another version of himself. It is another of him. Do you understand what I'm talking about, the difference there? It's not just another version of Jesus. It is Jesus just in another way. That's what he's getting at here. One who is equal, yet separate. He's an equal replacement for Jesus. Now, what had Jesus been to his disciples all this time? All the way up until now, where we are in John chapter 14. What what has he been to his disciples? He has been one who had protected them and provided for them and led them and taught them. That's what he means by helper. 
one who had protected them, provided for them, led them, and taught them. And we're going to see all of those play out here in these five promises. So what's the difference between Jesus and this helper, this Holy Spirit? This helper would be with the disciples forever. Did you catch that? I will, or he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We're going to see later, Jesus says he has to leave. So Jesus isn't able to be with them forever, but the Holy Spirit is. In order for Jesus to be glorified, he needed to leave his disciples in death and return to them in his resurrection, and then leave them again in his ascension. In contrast, Jesus promises the helper, the Holy Spirit, would never leave them. The Holy Spirit would never leave them. And by extension, he will never leave us. Jesus also calls this helper the spirit of truth, and how perfect a definition is for that. The spirit of truth. We just, were, we just saw... Jesus teaches the disciples in John chapter 14, verse 6, how he is the truth, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here we see the two are synonymous. The spirit of truth. Well, Jesus is the truth, and we have the spirit of truth. You see the connection? Jesus will go on to tell Pilate in his trial in John chapter 18 that his purpose for coming into the world was to bear witness to what? The truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. And then Jesus goes on to say something that a lot of us don't like to hear because it's divisive. He says, This is one whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Well, who is he talking about here with the, in the world? And we're going to see this word world used throughout the rest of the promises that we look at. The world is, is the people in the world who oppose God, who oppose Jesus. That is who he's talking about here. And so if you're in opposition to God, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit. If you're in opposition to Jesus, you can't see him or know him. That's why Judas did what he did. And the rest of the disciples did what they did. Because Judas was in opposition. But the others were still seeking to learn and they loved him and they wanted to know more. And so we get to the disciples. Jesus teaches them, you know him. You, the disciples, know him, the Holy Spirit. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Hold up. What does he mean by that? The Holy Spirit hadn't come. Pentecost hadn't occurred yet, that, that day of Pentecost. So what's Jesus talking about here? You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Earlier in John chapter 1, we see that God gave his Holy Spirit without measure to Jesus. And so, because Jesus had been with them the entire time, the Holy Spirit had been with them the entire time. For he dwells with you and will be, future tense, in you. Did you get that? Present tense, he dwells with you. Future tense, he will be in you. 
So they've been with the Holy Spirit, and they know him because they've been learning and sitting at the feet of Jesus. So the implication here for this promise, first we see, and we're going to see this throughout all of the different methods that, we show, that I show you about how the Holy Spirit comes to us, is that the Spirit is united to the Father and the Son. We cannot separate the distinct persons of the Godhead or the Trinity, right? We'll see this truth even more clearly as we go through the other promises that Jesus makes regarding his Holy Spirit. But what I want to point out here is that the Holy Spirit is united to the Father and the Son. You cannot separate them. The other thing that I, that I want to speak on is that in this implication here is that the Holy, the Holy Spirit divides humanity. He divides humanity. The possession of the Spirit marks out the disciple from the rest of the world. Who is in the kingdom of God and who is not? The Holy Spirit is the defining feature, if you, if you will. So a question I have for you is, do you have the Spirit? All right, we'll move through these next few promises here pretty quickly, but that kind of helps set the stage for a couple of terms that we're going to use and, and things like that as we move throughout these other promises. So that was the first promise, the helper, another helper, the spirit of truth. Now we're going to see the second promise, the teacher. This is John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Jesus teaches the disciples, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So we have the teacher. This is the second promise. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the teacher. So the first thing we see is the method. I want to focus on the method first. We see that Jesus says, well, let's see, what does he say? He says in verse 26, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So now we've moved from Jesus requesting the Father to send the Holy Spirit, and then he'll give it to them. Now he's telling them, yes, he will give them to you. He will send him. The Father will send him. In whose name? In Jesus' name. Again, you cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son. Okay, let's move on here. We see that the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds the disciples of Jesus' words. That's what, what is he? He says that there in verse 27, or in verse 26. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, now let me just be a, show you a real quick example of how that's true, okay? Because he's teaching them at probably around A.D. 30-ish, right? Because Jesus is about 30, 33 at this point in time, and John's in the room, right? Now, we're reading from John, the Gospel of John. Many scholars believe that John was actually recorded in A.D. 90, 60 years after this took place, Okay? John was written, the Gospel of John, written by John, the disciple that was sitting in this room in AD 30-ish. This was recorded in AD 90, 60 years after this event 
took place. Many people think, oh, yeah, he just was, it was five years later, he was writing it down. No, there was a lot of moving and shaking going on in those, those next five years or so, right? A.D. 90 is when most believe this was recorded. And so 60 years later, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, by extension, we get to see this because John wrote it down for us. And so now we know that the Holy Spirit works this way. He must work that way in us. I want to encourage you today. I think we think about thinking too much about ourselves. As Christians, as believers who have the Holy Spirit, thinking and remembering is a profoundly spiritual task. I don't think we give the Holy Spirit enough credit when it comes to remembering what he's taught us. Now, Jesus said that he, had, he taught them, right? So the disciples had to be there receiving from his teaching and learning from him. It wasn't like they, they had an epiphany of something that they'd never been taught. They were with him the entire time teaching. Jesus was teaching them the entire time. And so in order for them to remember something, they had to be there. You cannot recall what you don't install. Jesus was installing in them. And so what we have to do as believers is to sit at the feet of Jesus, sit at his word, and read it in order for us to remember it. He's not saying that he's just going to give you a a, a form of knowledge that you've never, ever heard before. He's going to remind you, just like he reminded John, of everything that he had taught him. This promise is important. Uh, this promise to the apostles is important for every generation of believers. This promise is the basis on which we possess authentic knowledge of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit reminded the apostles, rem- for, and then they wrote it down for us for our benefit. And so then, then we can read it and commit it to memory. And then the Holy Spirit re- brings it back to us when we are in the moment when we're witnessing, which is our next promise in a second, okay? The Holy Spirit was sent to assist the disciples and therefore us by extension in the task of accurately conveying the words of Jesus to those who never had the privilege of hearing Jesus personally. This is a profoundly spiritual task. So my implication for us, I've already said it, and I'll just reiterate it here. We must not underestimate the Spirit's work in our thinking and enabling our thinking. In Christianity, understanding and remembering the Word of God is a profoundly spiritual task. That's what I'm getting at here with the teacher. All right, moving on to the third promise, the witness and the witnesses. This is John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, so first I promised you I would teach you about the method. So here we have the method. When the Helper comes, what does it say? Whom I will send to you from the Father. Well, that sounds a little bit different than what he said earlier. Jesus says, I will send him to you from the Father, for the Spirit proceeds from the Father. Again, I'm just, it's, this is reminding us of the unity of, Jesus, of God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. Okay, and now we have this uh, aspect of being a witness, this promise of the Holy Spirit being a witness, and then later the promise that there are witnesses, being the disciples and then therefore us. What is the task of a witness? That you, we use that word a lot when it comes to um, sharing the gospel, uh, presenting the word of God, things like that. What is a witness? Why do you need a witness? A witness is needed only when there is opposition to the truth. A witness is only needed when there is opposition to the truth. So the task of a witness is to testify to the truth in the face of opposition. The context that Jesus gives here is interesting. So we didn't read it. We didn't touch on it. And earlier, I want you to read this later today. John 15, verses 18 through 25. Jesus goes on uh, 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 just a, a, a kind of a sermon here on how the world hates you. And the only reason why the world hates you is because it hated me first. It hated me, Jesus, first. And so it's like, well, why why are you telling us this? And then all of a sudden he says, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to be a witness. The witness is needed because the truth lives in opposition to the rest of the world. The world doesn't believe it, doesn't want to buy it, doesn't want to buy into it. If there's no opposition and everyone agrees on what the truth is, there's no need for a witness and the court is adjourned and everybody can go home and have a nice day. But we don't live in that world. And then he goes on to say, he will bear witness about me. So we have, let's see, verse 26. He will bear witness, and he will bear witness about me. So we see here the Spirit's witness is not to himself, not to the Spirit, but to Jesus. Did you catch that? The Spirit is always a witness to Jesus, witnessing back to Jesus. We're going to see that again in the fifth promise. And then he goes on to say, you also will bear witness in verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. They're eyewitnesses. And because they were eyewitnesses, they could record for us. And now we are witnesses because we have read what they saw. We have seen the truth and now we have to be witnesses to the truth. We live, so this, here's the implication then. We live in a world of incredible opposition to the truth, which is why we need the witness, the spirit of truth, to testify to us the truth about Jesus so that we can bear witness and testify to the truth in a world of opposition. Promise number three, the witness, and then therefore the, we, the witnesses, the disciples, the witnesses. The fourth promise is the prosecutor. The prosecutor. That sounds a little bit different than a witness or an advocate or a counselor. The prosecutor. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So first we have the method. We have Jesus saying, if I go, I will send him to you. 
in verse 7 and 8. If I go, I will send him to you. This is a pretty strong claim. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will not come unless Jesus goes away. This points to the importance of Jesus needing to be glorified first in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the ascension before the Holy Spirit can be sent into the world. And we'll see this played out more clearly next week when we talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit and what he does. But for today, we're left with the promise that Jesus will go away and that it is to the disciples' advantage, and by extension our advantage, that Jesus will go away and that Jesus will send us the Holy Spirit when he leaves. Then he goes on to say he will convict the world. So for believers, the Holy Spirit serves as a counselor and a witness. We saw this earlier, a counselor, a teacher, a witness, a helper. Now we see that what his witness does for the rest of the world. It exposes them. It exposes sin. It exposes the righteousness of Christ. And it exposes the judgment that's coming. This word convict means to expose, to convict, to refute, to convince, to rebuke, and reprove. The idea here is that one doing the convicting exposes something negative so that the error or guilt is demonstrated and so that those responsible will respond with either shame or repentance. So we have convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. This is kind of interesting. How, how, does, how does the Holy Spirit expose the world concerning sin, expose sin, because they do not believe in Jesus? Well, if God did not reveal to us who he is, we would, in our own strength and knowledge, never be able to come to a point of understanding who he is. Did you get that? If Jesus hadn't first revealed himself, we would never believe in him. And so because we know who he is, and because Some don't believe who he is. It exposes sin. Jesus even mentions this in John chapter uh, 15, verses 22 through 24. Actually, we read this earlier, and I'll read it again. John chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I, had not done, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated me, both me and my Father. So because we have the revelation of Christ, we have the ex, uh, sin has been exposed. And, uh, and the reality of our sin has been exposed. And how different we are than God and His holiness. If we were left to our own devices, we would remain in darkness. It is only by the grace of God that he would come to us and reveal this to us so that we might recognize our need for him, recognize that we have sinned and that we do sin, and that we need to repent and turn to him for salvation. So because the world sins, they do not believe in Christ. Now, he goes on to say, Convince, or convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. It seems kind of odd that the Holy Spirit would expose or convict the world concerning righteousness. But look at the context Jesus provides. He says, Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Holy Spirit was acutely involved in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. 
Death could not hold Jesus down because he did not sin. His resurrection and then his ascension proved his righteousness. Did you get that? His resurrection proved his righteousness. Paul points to this in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, when he says, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the, holy, to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So as a result, the righteousness of Jesus exposes the unrighteousness of the world. And then he goes on this third exposition, this third conviction concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus himself put it this way in John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And so since Jesus has overcome the world, and the power has overcome the ruler of the world and the power of the world, the Holy Spirit exposes the judgment that awaits them. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week because the death of Christ was a defining moment in history. Sometimes we overlook that as just an event. It was not just an event. It was the event. So the implication for this uh, this Holy Spirit being the prosecutor. The world does not accept its sinfulness. It does not believe in the righteousness of God, and it claims that there will be no judgment. Don't you hear that? Isn't that kind of the aura of what's been chanting around the world? They continue to follow Satan, the one who has been judged and cast out, and they believe his lies, denying these truths. The Holy Spirit will work in the disciples, and now through us, to expose the truth. And then finally, the last one, and we'll end on this, is John chapter 16, verses 12 through 5. We have the guide. The guide. Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, I'm in the wrong verse. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So now we have the method when the Spirit of truth comes. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you. He says He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. This is a good just kind of summary of what we've learned today in all these five promises. We have the Spirit who's going to guide us into all the truth. Well, who's the source of truth? Jesus. We just saw that in chapter 14, verse 6, right? He is the truth. And the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority, but only on the authority of Jesus. Because he will glorify Jesus. Did you catch that? He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine, to take what is Jesus's, and declare it to you. If I could just summarize all five of these, it's the Holy Spirit points us back to Jesus. 
The whole, that's his mission, is to point us to Jesus. It's not to teach us something new that Jesus never taught. It's not to, not to make us more powerful than we already are, even though he, kind of, he does. Some people have mentioned to me, I don't know how you do it, Nick. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't take credit for anything. And you can't either, to be quite honest. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables and empowers us. And we'll show that next week in what he does. But for this week, we see that who the Holy Spirit is, is here, is Jesus, and he's pointing us back to himself. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this opportunity that you've given us this morning to learn more about who you are. We just thank you for your word, and and we just thank you for um, uh, choosing uh, people, choosing disciples, in this case, choosing John, to record what you taught. And we thank you so much for enabling him and empowering him and helping him to remember all of the things that you taught him so that we could learn from it and benefit from it. Uh, Father, I just pray that you'll be with us today. Help us to just take this home, take this message home and uh, chew on it a little bit more and um, maybe encourage uh, some other areas of study so that we can grow closer to you and learn more about you. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you for uh, what you have taught us today. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Man, thank you, Nick. Let's all stand up if you're comfortable standing.